This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the MathEd Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and my guest today is Dr. Randy Phillip, who's a professor of mathematics education in the School of Teacher Education at San Diego State University. Thanks, Randy, for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Um, We're going to be talking about some different aspects of Randy's work, and we're going to be focusing on his project called Integrating Mathematics and Pedagogy, the IMAP project. But before we get to IMAP, I want to back up and uh, Randy, uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your dissertation and your grad school experience. I won't ask you to say what year that was. but <laughs> So I remember deciding that I wanted to do math education and trying to narrow down where to go. And I remember reading some papers by Tom Carpenter and realizing that I really liked how he wrote and I liked the kinds of papers he wrote. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a major drive for me to think about going to Wisconsin. When I was in Wisconsin, I I think I was considering studying teaching first. Uh, I found out that I was more likely to work with Tom if I studied learning. Mm-hmm. And so I was I had gone in with an interest in algebra and so I stayed with the interest in algebra and I actually did a study that looked at 7th grade students' understanding of variables. Okay. And it was a controlled treatment study. I had some groups. I taught some lessons, did some pre-post. It was somewhat traditional study. Mm-hmm. Um, probably if I had it all to do over again, I would have been thinking more about a pre-CGI algebra world because CGI and algebra merged, but probably 10 years after I did my study. And it wasn't because of me. It uh-huh. was, it was uh, Tom was working on that. But So I studied variables, and uh, it was a really it's a wonderful time to, uh, to be in graduate school. That was a great group of people at Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you mentioned you had an initial interest in teaching, but then you did this work with learning and algebra. And I'm wondering what are some of the other themes to your work that you've been able to pursue over the year? Did you uh, get back to teaching, or did you stay with learning for a while? What were the the different points that you hit on? Well, Sam, serendipity does play a role in careers. Um, I ended up taking a job in a school of teacher education. And because of the nature of the work that I had, it became pretty clear to me pretty quickly that studying teaching would be a little bit more, well, I guess to say it would be it would be presentable to me more easily where I was working than studying learning. And then another opportunity arose where I was asked whether I wanted to be part of a project that was continuing. So I was continuing to work with the group at Wisconsin on extending children's thinking, CGI, to working with pre-service teachers. And so I leveraged that to work with elementary math methods courses, which I was already teaching. And I think that that sort of brought me back to the world of teaching or brought me to the world of teaching. Mm -hmm. And much of my career has been spent there with children's thinking as a centerpiece to that. Okay. 
And so CGI initially uh, was children's thinking, but it was brought to in-service teachers, and then the shift that you're talking about is now going to pre-service teachers. Well, the original CGI work was to um, share with practicing teachers Mm -hmm. frameworks for how students thought about problems and the kinds of strategies that they used. Mm -hmm. And then they studied the effects of teachers learning about this. And this work has has been, well, it's unfolded in many different directions, and there's lots of people who've carried on the yeah, CGI mantle yeah. and, and, and to rational numbers and to algebra now, etc. So at that time, they, uh, Tom and Liz, I think, were asked by NSF in one of their proposals to consider studying the effects of sharing information about children's thinking with pre-service teachers. Who maybe don't have as many experiences with children That's directly. right. Yeah. So they went out. They didn't want to do that work, but they wanted to support it. So they, okay. they invited three groups. So there was a group at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, under uh, George Bright and Nancy Back. There was a group at Queens College under um, Fran Curcio and Sidney Schwartz. And then Nadine Bazook, the late Barbara Armstrong, and I at San Diego State. So the three groups were all engaged in working with prospective elementary school teachers and trying to see how we could leverage children's thinking in supporting them Mm -hmm. in their math methods courses. Mm -hmm. And can you also say a little bit about your work on teacher beliefs? Because I know that's been quite a strong thread through your work. So I've been interested in teacher knowledge and teacher beliefs. I think that I came to those areas, I would say teacher knowledge sort of happened earlier, but while we were studying the prospective teachers, we were looking at their beliefs as well, because Mm -hmm. that was an important thing to look at. I think that the belief work really unfolded for me when we got to IMAP. Okay. And as you were continuing some of this work, you were recognized for your work um, by NSF, receiving an early award. I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that. So back in the early 90s, I don't think they had the career grants. They had um, a National Science Foundation Young Investigator Awards. They also had Presidential Faculty Fellow Awards. I think the Presidential Fellow Awards were more a little more prestigious, a little more money. I applied for that. I was not funded for that, but I was funded for a Young Investigator Award. So okay. at the, the way it worked back then it was five years. It was a $25,000 a year award plus matching funds up to $100,000. Hmm. Now, a dollar meant a little more in the 90s than today, <laughs> but still it wasn't a large grant. Um, And I was very interested then in continuing to think about content knowledge for elementary school teachers and how it played out. And one of the studies that I conducted uh, at that time was a pilot study whereby uh, Bonnie Chappelle, a research associate of mine, and I worked together. We brought in a handful, maybe ten prospective elementary school teachers, and we spent the semester bringing them out and having them work with children. Mm-hmm. And they were learning about children's thinking, and we were looking at problems, etc. And at the end of the semester, they said a lot of the things that you might expect. They enjoyed working with the kids, they learned about them, they 
sometimes pre-service teachers think that children are fragile and they're mm-hmm. gonna, you know, be upset, but they weren't, and, and they enjoyed that. But they also said something that I didn't entirely understand at the time. It was something along the lines of, and we look at math differently now. Hmm. And I couldn't quite figure out what that meant. But the way I would state it now, I think what they were saying is, as a result of the engagement that they were doing, they were recognizing that mathematics was not just a set of procedures. The kinds of questions that they were asking were making available to them students' ways of reasoning that often were not associated with a particular procedure. Hmm. And I think, in a sense, they were coming to see mathematics in a much richer way. We hadn't expected that from the study, but it gave us the idea that maybe this notion that we first teach people about math and then they use the math as teachers or working with children, maybe that order wasn't um, and shouldn't be entirely linear. Mm-hmm. Because it sounded like, uh, at least with the, the teachers that you were working with, the way that they had learned the math gave them a certain sense of what math meant, but then working with the kids changed the way that they thought about math. And so then that led to this question of, well, maybe we can try to do something different where it doesn't have to be this big shift. It can just kind of grow in a more integrated way. Exactly, exactly. And so I remember I had some papers to write, and there was lots going on. And at the time, the director of Crimsey was Judy Souter. And there was a new, a new call for proposals that came out. It was an Interagency Educational Research Institute, IERI, mm-hmm. which was a combination of three institutions. It was uh, NSF, it was DOE, and I think it was NIH. NIH yeah. And she called uh, three of the faculty, in, or three came to this meeting. I think it was Joanne Lobato, Janet Bowers, and I. And I went to the meeting with the plan of telling her that I wasn't interested okay. because I had other stuff that I needed to, yeah. to be doing. Right. And when I saw what they were asking for, it just clicked. It was like a light was turned on. And I, th- I said, this is exactly the kind of initiative that would make possible carrying out the study that I was considering hmm. to test whether changing the order of how we do things might positively affect prospective teachers. Mm-hmm. And this, so this proposal was funded under IERI, and it became the IMAP project, which uh, stands for Integrating Mathematics and Pedagogy. Um, and so were the PIs, the, some of the folks that you just mentioned? Um, I, was the, I was the lead PI, and Judy Souter was the second PI. Um, and then we worked with Lisa Lamb. We worked with Rebecca Ambrose, who's now at the uh, University of California, Davis. We worked with Larry Souter, who's now retired. We worked with Jen Chaveau, who's now at the University of Houston. Um, They were all at San Diego State. We had three math educators from the math department, and I think it was three math educators from the School of Teacher Ed. uh, Ava Thanheiser was a doctoral student on this. We had a huge group. I hired postdocs, and Mm -hmm. it was a $3.2 million grant for three years, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of money over a relatively short period of time. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a very ambitious 
plan, and we ended up extending the time period. Mm -hmm. Because what happened was we needed to develop two instruments to use. We wanted to develop a content instrument, and we wanted to develop a belief survey. And the belief survey that we wanted to develop was based on the idea that measuring beliefs is best done by providing people with something to look at and then drawing inferences about the beliefs they hold on the basis of what they see in what they're looking at. And how they react to and it. And how they react to it, correct. Okay. So we would give them, we showed them some video, we had them talk about the video and answer questions, we gave them some problems to look at, we asked questions about that. Uh, it was a pretty elaborate belief survey. We even developed some video to make this happen. Mm. So by then, I was pretty heavily involved in thinking about teachers' beliefs, and we were trying to to leverage uh, this different perspective on beliefs in in this study. Mm -hmm. And so leading up to this IMAP project, you mentioned the issue of content courses and pedagogy and the possibility of integrating them. Uh, and so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the research intentions of IMAP was to really investigate that question of, you know, what are the effects and the impacts of integrating mathematical content with pedagogy together ra rather than this linear separation. Um, but also there was a component of IMAP that has to do with field experiences. I was wondering if you could add that into the mix as well. Sure. So we needed an avenue for providing students who were taking math content courses to learn about children's thinking. We did not teach the math content courses. Um, we let the math content courses be taught by whoever it was who was teaching them. I think mm -hmm. it was a lot of um, graduate students at the time. So what we did was we created, um, what we called it at the time, a mathematical early field experience. Mm -hmm. But we created this experience whereby students would be working with children, and we actually developed two versions of it. We, we call one of them a video version and one of them a live version. And the live meant they were working with children, mm -hmm. and the video version meant they were watching videos, but they weren't directly working with children. Okay. So we developed that as a, a kind of course that they took. And as a result of the study, San Diego State's Liberal Studies Coordinator was so taken by the results that she worked with us and we developed a, a one-and-a-half-unit, half-semester course that is called Children's Mathematical Thinking. And it, I think of it as a lab hmm. that people take along with the first mathematics course. Okay. And so you had the instruments that you developed, you had these experiences that you developed, and then you were really trying to answer the questions about what, what is the effect or the impact of those experiences on the prospective teacher's content and the prospective teacher's beliefs about mathematics and teaching mathematics? Correct. Okay. Um, so I'm curious then about, you know, what are some of the findings, you know, some of the overarching findings that you'd say in response to those questions, or what are some of the products that have come out from IMAP? So the, the basic research result was that um, learning mathematics concurrently with learning about children's thinking both supported prospective teachers' understanding of mathematics and it supported the development of their beliefs about mathematics, about teaching and learning mathematics. We also found that uh, it didn't really make much difference in terms of our measures, whether they took the video version of the children's thinking course or the live version. Hmm. 
as an aside, I think that there are some additional benefits that were accrued by them working with children mm -hmm. that they didn't get just by watching video. Mm -hmm. But we didn't measure those in this study. Right, okay. We also had created uh, three other groups. We had five treatment groups. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess four treatment groups and a control. Uh, one of the treatment groups was to send students out to a mathematical observation and reflection experience where they visited classrooms and they were they were responding to props and they were writing, but it wasn't guided in terms of what they saw about children's thinking. Mm -hmm. And we developed two more mathematical observation and reflection experiences, two of these mores, one with more traditional teachers and one with teachers who were selected because they were considered to be a little more, I'll use the term, reform-oriented. And then we had a control group, a group that um, did not have this experience. And all five of those groups were taking Math 210, and they were all mixed together in different classes. Okay. So it was a pretty carefully designed study. One of the interesting that, uh, results that we got, in addition to, to what I mentioned, was that the beliefs of the students who were visiting traditional classrooms actually seemed to move in the wrong direction mm. compared even to the control group. Mm. So in a sense, visiting traditional classrooms took them farther away from developing the kinds of beliefs about mathematics, teaching, and learning that I think our community would tend to embrace. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to say that early field experiences are a bad thing. I still think that there's magic when prospective teachers get to work with children. Mm -hmm. But it may not be the magic that the math ed community necessarily is, is aspiring to. Right. There's, there's black magic out there as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's a lot to be learned by working with children and about mm -hmm. schools and teachers. And, yeah, you know, it's, and, it's, and becoming an elementary school teacher is more than just teaching math. Right. Well, and I can imagine, you know, the... Having the opportunity for the prospective elementary uh, school teachers to work with kids is great, but in order to get to those kids, a lot of times they have to go into a school building, and you get everything that comes along with the school building. You get that's right. You get the traditions of that that teacher, that school, um, you know, U.S. curriculum in general, um, just a whole lot of things that that they're exposed I, to. I think one of the big big lessons that came out of this study for me was that early field experiences probably need to be carefully designed if they're going to accomplish targeted goals. Mm -hmm. um, and if the targeted goal is developing particular beliefs and seeing particular experiences related to mathematics, teaching, and learning, they probably need to be developed pretty carefully. Because mm -hmm. just sending students out to classrooms may do nothing more but to perpetuate the views that they already had. Mm -hmm. And so with videos, uh, it gives you one opportunity to sort of tailor something and be a little bit more controlled about, um, it's not a field experience, but controlled about the kinds of things that your students see and then the way that you interpret and work around those things. Yeah, it's, it's, I would agree it's not a field experience, but it could be created into a kind of virtual field experience. Mm -hmm. And Thinking along those lines, so IMAP has also produced some resources for the field um, through Pearson. So I was wondering if you could describe um, what IMAP has made available. So we basically now have two products. Uh, we have a CD that contains 25 
video clips, all involving children solving problems. Most of them are individual children. There's one classroom clip, and there's, a few, I think, a few with several children. Mm-hmm. And these 25 clips are relatively short. Um, these are not teaching experiments. These are brief clinical interviews, three or four or five minutes, kids solving a task. But the tasks, the, the video were created to provide opportunities for pre-service teachers to see some issues that we think are important. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we want them to re- recognize is that there's a problem with how mathematics is being learned. So we have examples of children, intelligent children, thoughtful children, who are really pretty confused about the meaning of fractions. Mm. We also want them to see that children have some innovative ways of thinking. And so we have kids solving problems in ways that, in some cases, sort of baffle the pre-service teachers. They don't quite understand it. They need to dig below the surface. We also want them to see that elementary mathematics is not elementary. It's actually pretty complicated. We have a video clip of a child solving a division problem, and it looks like he has a really good understanding, but at the end, he makes a mistake with how the remainder is represented. He represents the remainder as part of the quotient incorrectly. So one and a half divided by a third, he knows there's three thirds in one whole. Mm -hmm. He knows there's another third and a half. He knows there's a sixth left over, Uh but instead of representing the sixth as half of the third, he just writes four and a sixth. Uh And actually, a lot of people miss that. They don't Mm -hmm. even see that he made a mistake. So what's rich about a clip like that is you see someone who really does understand, and yet there's a piece missing. Hmm. Um, So the clips were very carefully selected in terms of their inclusion. They are also, all of them were recorded professional quality, so you can always hear what the kids are saying. Mm -hmm. So we developed this this CD, and later we ended up creating a DVD that has 232 video clips, including all 25 of these. Mm -hmm. And these 232 are part of a searchable uh, program, so you can run a search by grade level, it's K-6, mm-hmm. by gender, by ethnicity, by a variety of content areas, and then we have other things you can search for, like direct modeling, or the kind of strategies they used, or mm-hmm. um, number sense evident, or number sense not evident. Mm-hmm. There's a, a great clip of a girl subtracting one from a thousand using regrouping. So we call we, we categorize that as number sense not evident. <laughs> um, so we have this uh, DVD, and um, we actually developed some materials to accompany it. We call that a facilitator guide uh, that lists all the clips, and it has six short stories that highlight different kinds of themes that are part of the facilitator guide. Okay, great. I'm speaking with Randy Phillip um, from San Diego State University, and so the IMAP project is officially over. Is that correct? Yes. Um, um, yes. But with the either the folks involved or just in your own personal uh, future, do you see yourself continuing with any of these ideas, or do you have new research questions that have come out of the IMAP work that you are excited to pursue? So yeah, the IMAP work leveraged and, and emerged, or I guess evolved into a step project where we studied long-term professional development, again drawing upon the work of IMAP, and I did that work with Vicki Jacobs. 
More recently, I'm working with Lisa Lamb and Jessica Pearson Bishop and Ian Whitaker on students' understanding of integers, which is different because it's back to students. It's not, oh. It doesn't have the teacher piece. Mm -hmm. But sort of coming around the block, I'm, I'm back now with a new project, um, working with a large group of people led by Lisa Lamb, whereby we're going to be working with 16 secondary school math and science teachers for five years. Hmm. These teachers will each be paid $10,000 a year to participate in this project. Huh. They'll have a couple of weeks of in-service each year, um, a week in the summer and then five days during the year. And I'll be working with 16 of them, the, the 16 math teachers, and actually we may be working with the math and science together as well. But my job with the math is to think about how to provide professional development in the area of teaching algebra. Mm -hmm. So this is a pretty cool, it's like a, a, to me it's a canvas that's waiting to be painted. Mm -hmm. We have to decide what theoretical framework we want to use. Are we going to focus on children's thinking? Are we, mm -hmm. what, how are we going to conceptualize algebra? Will it be generalized arithmetic? Will we leverage the work that's been done with relational thinking for younger children? There's lots of issues to think about, and it's kind of fun mm -hmm. because um, we're at the beginning and we, we have all these possible directions. But one of the implications for IMAP, of course, is that I don't see the content separate from children's thinking, and mm -hmm. I think that those will be leveraged together. But I do consider each of those important mm -hmm. on their own. So I think how they think of the content is really going to be important and how they think about children's thinking is also going to be very important. There's an old saying, teachers teach the way they were taught, mm -hmm. but there's another saying, teachers teach what they know. And it seems to me that both are true and helping them think differently about algebra will be part of the, part of the task. So I think video development is possible here and that's exciting because it may be that we can try to capture some rich clips that um, support us as we work with teachers and pre-service teachers in thinking about secondary mathematics. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you, you talked about how it's exciting to have that five-year canvas to work with, you know, a, a lot different than a one-day professional development session. But I'm also wondering uh, if you have particular questions that you have in mind that you're going to be able, you know, research questions that you're going to be able to trace over those five years in addition to the, you know, experiences that you're going to be able to give in working with the teachers. There is a research component to the study, and the, the questions are getting sort of finalized and worked out mm -hmm. in, in this process. But we're going to be interested in how the professional development unfolds and the kind of learning that takes place for the teachers. I think there may also be some possible questions around the community development mm -hmm. because there's going to be a lot of different kinds of issues, but we haven't worked them all out yet, so right. you may want to come back to me on that one. Oh, great. I um, would have, be happy to do that. I'm speaking with Randy Phillip from San Diego State University, and I have one more question to ask you. Um, We've, we've looked over a lot of the aspects of your career thus far and a little bit at your you know, what you have coming next around the corner. Um, but now I'm going to ask you to just imagine a different trajectory altogether. Um, what would you see yourself doing if you weren't in the field of math education? 
So there was a point in my, um, while I was teaching high school, after I, I served in the Peace Corps and then I came back and I was in high, uh, teaching high school and I was taking classes in graduate school, but I wasn't sure what direction to go. And I was considering two directions. One direction was math education and the other direction was some kind of area of counseling. I, was, I sort of imagined myself working as a counseling psychologist. I was particularly interested in the relationship between cognition and affect. I understand that counseling often addresses issues related to feelings and emotions and experiences. Mm-hmm. But I also have always believed that the cognitive connections are interesting. Mandler's theory is a nice example. Mandler has a theory about how affect also often gets generated in math education, uh, which is people hit roadblocks when they're solving problems. Mm-hmm. And it's not hitting a roadblock that causes frustration. It's how one interprets the roadblock. Hmm. If you interpret the roadblock as, oh, see, I don't know how to do this. This is frustrating. One more negative experience. Mm-hmm. Why did my you, teacher give this problem? Right, <laughs> exactly. Then that emotion can turn into an attitude that can be negative about math and eventually can become ingrained as a belief even about oneself and mathematics. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, a person with the same understanding might hit that roadblock and say, oh, I like when this happens mm-hmm. because... This is a challenge, and I like these kinds of challenges. They're kind of fun, and I know that this is where you learn. And so that same roadblock might give rise to a future mathematics student. Or, or definitely some different feelings about mathematics. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so that's just an example of sort of how the way that we frame something and think about it can affect the emotional uh, charge with that. And I actually, was, I, I, I actually contacted someone I knew about, uh, not personally, but I knew about this person as a psychologist, and asked his opinion about sort of this. And in the end, what I decided was there's probably a lot of people out there who could be good counselors. Hmm. There weren't that many people who already had the experiences that I had had in mathematics, teaching, and learning. And so it seemed like the road less traveled made sense (laughs) for me. Well, and the field is, is glad for the choice that you did make. Well, that's kind of you to say, and and think of all these people who might have been destroyed by sitting and talking with me. (laughs) Well, I certainly have survived the experience, uh, so I, I thank you very much for taking the time to be here. Thanks, Sam. Thank you for listening to this episode of the MathEd Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please use the PayPal donation button at mathedpodcast.com.